0: Turning to Hebrews chapter 9 that we read just a little earlier, we'll have a short word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's Word tonight. Father in heaven, we thank Thee again for Thy presence. We just pray for help as we come to this text. Lord, we can say our hearts already have been solemnized, and we pray, Lord, that the solemnity of heaven might even grip our souls afresh as we come to this subject and this text. Lord, give me help in the pulpit. Give me help, Lord, in the congregation. Pray, Lord, that thou might open up hearts. Lord, that I might cause thy word to run. Be glorify. Give us those words that must and shall prevail. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was William Grimshaw, the Hayworth preacher who tells of the visit of George Whitfield to his church in which he preached to 6,000 people. There had to be a scaffold that was built against the church wall so that those inside as well as those outside could see and could hear the preacher. Whitfield is reported to have climbed the scaffold and upon uh, spending a few moments in prayer before casting a long look over the congregation. He then implored the blessing and the presence of God before he solemnly announced his text. Silence was to fall on that entire crowd. Only to be disturbed by a loud shriek to which Grimshaw made his way to the place to find out what was the cause. He soon was to elbow his way back to Whitfield and he was heard to say with concern and alarm, Brother Whitfield, you stand amongst the dead and the dying. And a moral soul has been called into eternity. The destroying angel is passing over the congregation. Cry aloud and spare not. And after a moment or two, Whitfield gave out the same text. And it is reported that seldom in his entire ministry did he preach to a more intent and a more earnest congregation warning the cold, warning the Christless to flee from the wrath to come. Dear people, that was 1749. The same text today is just as solemn. And this preacher, in some respects, stands just where Whitfield stood, especially in view of the sudden passing of our long reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. I should say also, as we have read from Hebrews chapter 9, that much of the theme of the Apostle Paul in this book is to show that Christ is greater. And he opens that book of Hebrews reminding us that he is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. Verse 2 for chapter 1, for example, it says in in his last day is spoken unto us by his Son. He's a prophet. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he's our priest. Who also became our sacrifice. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high. He's our king. Prophet, priest, king. But he's greater. He's greater than all of the Old Testament sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament economy. While countless numbers of sacrifices were made, they pointed forward in time and in type to Christ to the once for all offering for sin. And having offered himself once, he entered into the holy place with his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. That's the very thought. That Paul is illustrating when he brings his readers to the solemn text that Whitfield announced and preached upon, which I desire this congregation to consider tonight. A well-known text, verse 27, and it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Won't you notice the appointment? The apostle in the previous verse has stated that Christ once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin. He was to offer one sacrifice for sin. And the proof of the necessity of Christ's suffering death but once is introduced by the co-joining word in the next verse. And. It's not but. It is and. As it is appointed unto men. What the illustration leads us to consider is the appointment that has to be kept. It was appointed by God from before the foundation of this world that one day Christ, His only begotten Son, His beloved, would go to Calvary and there He would lay down His life as that once-for-all offering for sin. You see, Romans 6 and 10 reminds us, For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But just as that was an appointment by God, so is the appointment that is spoken of here in my text tonight. And this appointment has been decreed by God. For if we go back to the beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... He decreed the covenant of works. He said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and the words of verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Upon the threat of death, he was to not partake of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Obedience to God's command would mean that Adam would never die and as the federal head of all mankind neither would any one of us. But because Adam disobeyed, because Adam sinned against God, and he broke that covenant, then that meant that this decree was brought into being. And so therefore, we are thrust forward to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, for example, in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into this world, that's Adam, so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Adam and every one born of him would one day have to meet this appointment. His days would be as grass, the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And men and women, even the Queen of England, and the Queen of this realm and of Commonwealth, had to meet with that appointment on Thursday afternoon. Yes, ninety-six years of age, but the appointment was there. And dear people, that is the reason why there is death, of course. It's something that is decreed by God, and God cannot go back on His word. And you, like me, are living in the midst of death. I stand between the living and the dead tonight. For when Adam sinned against God that day, the seeds of death were in him, whereby he was dead spiritually. He was dying physically. And when we come to Genesis 5, we have those three words, and he died, and he was in danger of dying eternally, lost in sin, at a distance from God, his face away from God, and so it is with every one of us. This is an appointment that has been in place for all generations that have ever walked upon the face of this earth. It is an appointment that Job is found to be considering. Job chapter 14 verse 1 says, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Verse 5, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Here, men and women, is an appointment that queens, that that you and I will have to face. And the only way in which some will avoid having to meet with this appointment is if the Lord comes back first. And for some, you're not ready to meet this appointment. And you're not ready to meet the Lord and His return. This appointment is also deserved. The scriptures remind us that God is holy. He's a covenant-keeping God. In other words, He keepeth His promises. And because of His justice, and because of His holiness, sin therefore must be punished. And the scriptures teach us that the soul that sinneth, it, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Because we sinned in Adam, we do not deserve the least of the Lord's mercies. We do not deserve the blessings that He bestows upon us every day, every one of us. For it causes the sun to shine on the just as well as the unjust. We have sinned and done wickedly in God's sight. And that sin must be punished. Undeservedly so. There's no such thing as the gospel. If there's no prospect of being anywhere else but a lost eternity tonight. And we would have received our just deserts. Do you understand that? Everyone, including preacher alike, deserves hell. Because of our sins. God does not owe mankind anything never mind a drop of his mercy and yet it is in him we live we move and we have our very being and dear soul it is God who knows all about the day of this appointment where you and I are concerned yet how is it that you think very little about that? You want to put it to the back of your mind. You tell yourself that it is some distance in the future when we all know the truth of those words. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I could have given you an illustration just about ten days ago of a man who was preparing for a funeral service in one of our other churches, Money Slain actually, and he dropped dead. He was actually putting out the church for his own funeral. A healthy man, and speaking and talking with all the other men, and yet with an hour within an hour and a half he dropped suddenly dead. He's dead before he hit the floor. Ready to go. Born again of God's Spirit. But men and women, I could illustrate that text, boast not thyself of tomorrow just by last week. On Tuesday. We had a prime minister who resigned. And we have a new Prime Minister in place. On Wednesday, she goes and meets the Queen. On Thursday, our monarch's gone. The two highest positions in our land within seventy two hours changed. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. You see, from our text, this appointment is with death, and it is appointed unto man once to die. You ever consider what it is to die? Now, I don't speak of the manner in which this appointment will come upon us. There are many, many ways that can come. But I mean, what does it actually mean, to die? I understand. That every one of us take about 17,000 breaths in a day. But disappointment with death will mean the last one will be taken. For some, it may mean a rattle in the throat. For others, it may be a cold sweat on the brow. For others, it will be that sudden that those things will not be seen or heard. It will mean a severing of all earthly links. To die. Is a severing of the soul from the body. The body dies, the soul lives on. It will mean these bodies returning to the dust from whence they came. It will mean a leaving of all your earthly possessions behind. For we came into this world with nothing. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Like the rich farmer, death will mean a leaving of it all behind. It will not matter what plans you had. It will not matter what appointments that you had penciled in. This appointment supersedes all of them. For it cannot be postponed and it cannot be cancelled. It is appointed unto man once to die. Your meeting this appointment with death will mean an end of the day of God's grace for your soul. An end of gospel opportunity, an end of gospel preaching in which you heard of your need to be saved, it will mean you have spent your last Sabbath in the house of God. The last time you heard the preacher warn you of the great danger and that is why you need to heed the urgency of the Scriptures and what they display of getting right with God because God's Word says, For behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Have you made preparation for this appointment? But you know, there's not only that here, but there's also the accountability here. You know, increasingly we live in a society that likens the human race to nothing more than a dog or an animal out in the field. You might say, what do you mean by that? Calling me a dog? What I mean is this. The message of the humanist, the message of the atheist is that you live your life whatever way you like, apart from any idea of a superior being. There's no God and all of that. And when it comes to die, that's it. Everything is gone. Everything is over. The problem I have with that man and woman is that my text of Scripture here, you see, it doesn't end with the word die. It says, and it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this. But after this. And there is... The after this here and the after this has to do with the day of accountability that man has to face up to, and here's something that is insured. It is appointed unto man once today. That's assurance. That's assurity. But it is also assured the latter part of the verse. But after this, and there is the assurance of it because of what God has stated in His Word. I draw you to consider Acts chapter seventeen. In the words of verse uh, thirty one acts seventeen in the words of verse thirty one you'll read this it says, "Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof." He hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised them from the dead. He is appointed unto men once to die. That's true. And God hath appointed a great and a final day of accountability when everyone will be brought before the judge of all the earth, the king of kings. And the absolute assurance of this day is that God hath raised them from the dead. You see, there's the resurrection of Christ. You, you go to verse 31 of Acts 17 and you know who's going to be the judge on the great day of accountability because he raised him from the dead. That's his beloved son. And that is referring to the day when all sinners and their entire person's body and soul will stand before God. No matter if are scattered dust over the sea, the sea will give up their debt. And the body will come and the soul will come together again and they'll stand before God. Now don't, have, don't ask me to explain that. But God who created the, the body out of the dust of the ground, He can bring together the dust again. And we read about in Ezekiel of how bone came to its bone and it became a living army and God breathed into them and it became a living army. And Ezekiel was told, Preach! Preach to the bones, preach to them. Men and women of God can bring bone to its bone. There wasn't any, any problem there. The elbow didn't go along the leg, the elbow was in the arm, etc., etc. If God can do that, He can bring the dust of an old body again, and He can bring the soul together, and they'll stand before God. Because the words of Romans 14 and 12 tells us so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Those are not the preacher's words. Those are the words of God who cannot lie. Whether you believe that one day you'll stand before God or not doesn't really matter. The atheist lets on that he doesn't believe that. And these fellows that think that they can outdo God by leaving a note and saying well don't bury me just cremate me doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The Lord has appointed it and has ensured. And our text of Scripture indicates that this day of accountability will mean examination. It's described as a judgment. And in this great judgment at the end of this age as we know it, there will be the examination which will end all examinations. I want to show you that it will be all-inclusive. The scope of this examination is all-embracing. It will be according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example, verse 10, it tells us that. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. We persuade you to flee from the wrath that is to come as an unconverted soul standing before the judge of all the earth. Matthew chapter 12 and the words of verse thirty six I tell you something else about this judgment. I say unto you, the Lord said, But every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. It's lovely to have those words that our past monarchs said. They mean a lot now. Their faith was in Christ. The Sinners shall be judged for every time they said no in their heart, rejecting the offer of God's mercy as they sat under the preaching of God's Word, convicted by the power of God's Spirit. The judgment shall be according not only to what you said and what you didn't do with the preaching, but the judgment will also be according to what you thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Newton's hymn puts it like this. What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of Him. Examination will be of the heart. We get a glimpse of that, do we not, in Matthew chapter 25. For there the Lord speaks about the five virgins. Well, there was ten altogether, but there's five in particular. And although they looked like the other five, and they professed to be like the other five, yet when the bridegroom came, they had found to have no oil in their lamps. And they go and they seek the oil, but it's too late. And they come seeking admission into that great marriage feast. Lord, Lord, open to us. But you know the reply was, I know not you. I know you not. Want you to read, want you to listen to the words of verse 31 of that chapter it says when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. This is not an unearthly throne. And our minds have been taken to the throne, and our land of late, and will be this week, and going forward. And you know it says in verse thirty-two, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided a sheep from the goats. Let me ask you, does that not suggest to you an examination? Let me ask, what have you done with Christ who has preached unto you in the gospel? You see, dear loved one, this day of accountability will usher in eternity. For while a soul knows as soon as they leave this earth their destiny, that soul goes out into God's eternity. Yet this final day will be the public trial. It will be the revealing of all things that ever they did as God's record books are opened. And for the sinner it will bring on the sentence which will fix their everlasting doom in a lost eternity. This is the judgment of the great white throne that is spoken of in Revelation 20. The dead and the small and the great shall be there. The kings of the earth and the great men shall be there. The rich and the poor. The young and the older. The bond and the free. Where are they? Standing before God. My friend, if you die in your sin one day, you will be at this great white throne judgment. And one day you will face this examination, this accountability, and your eternal destiny will be declared. For whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's why it is imperative that you make preparation for the day of your death and after. After this. For you know it will not always be the way it is now as you sit among God's people. The psalmist opens the book of Psalms by stating, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In the words of the prophet Amos, we simply say to you, Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet thy God. One final thought. and there's the assurance great white throne judgment doesn't have to be your experience. For we have said that this is only for the ungodly. This is only for the Christ rejecter. There will be the judgment for the believer, but it will not be for their sin. All because of the one of whom we read of in the following verse, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of men. I. And therefore death and the judgment, it holds no fear for the one who is born again of God's Spirit. For we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ the righteous. One who will plead our cause. One who will stand up as our blessed substitute. For he died on the sin once, that we might live unto God's. In salvation, you see, the sinner has the assurance of pardon from their sins. For God to be just, and yet to be able to declare the sinner as righteous in his sight, then sin had to be punished. And it will be punished in one of two ways. Either in a perfect substitute, or else in the sinner for all eternity in hell. And that's why he gave the Lord Jesus. That's why Christ in the perfect obedience came from heaven's glory and he went to the cross of Calvary. It was there that he was to offer the, to bear the sins of many. Verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Not all. Many. Who's in that many? That's not my business. That's God's business. How many are there? That's God's business. My business is this. Are you in that many? It's my business to ask that and to bring it to you. The very words of this chapter declare that without the shedding of blood there's no remission. That's why Christ came. That's why he gave his own life's blood so that he might offer a perfect sacrifice unto God. That he might pay the penalty for the sins of his people and that faith in Christ they might be pardoned from their iniquities. God says, thy sins and thine iniquities I will remember no more. Not only does he forgive them in Christ, but they're forgotten, they're covered through the blood of Christ. What a message. That you tonight sitting in Market Hill Free Church can know sins forgiven. Your greatest problem tonight is sin. That heart of yours. And you can know pardon, you can know cleansing through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know in Christ the sinner also has the assurance that they have peace with God. The work of the cross was first and foremost a Godward work. It was to ascend unto God as a sweet smelling savor and sacrifice. And the assurance is that Christ once for all offering for sin was acceptable in the Father's sight. How do we know? Because God raised him again the third day from the dead. And like the hymn writer puts it, payment God will not twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. It has been paid. The work has been done. And being justified by God, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have a peace tonight over the knowledge of sins forgiven? Have you a peace tonight over death and the after this? And you have it because you know you're safe and you're secure in him. The Lord has done that work. The implication is that the believer has also the assurance of a place in heaven one day with Christ, which is far better. He has purchased eternal salvation. He's gone to prepare a place for his people. One day he shall appear without sin. Let me just show you a thing here. There's three appearances here you know. Look at verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. There's his present appearing. He's in glory tonight. He's on the throne of heaven tonight. He's the everlasting high priest tonight. He ever lives to make intercession for his people. There's the present appearing. Verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's the past appearing. That's when he came to this earth. Those days are known from that time until he comes again as the the last days. And He came the first time not to set up His kingdom, but He came that He might purchase eternal redemption for Himself, for for His people through the sacrifice of Himself. There is His past appearing. And then you look at the last verse, 28. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. There's His future appearing. And He's coming in all His glory and all the angels with Him to gather up those of His own his own people unto them shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation he's not coming to the cross again that work is done not coming again to be the sin bearer that he did once but he will appear in glory and power and every child of God shall hear those words. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. That inheritance, of course, Peter has revealed to us is one which is incorruptible undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Dear soul, it's a place secured for everyone that comes to Christ by faith. For Christ purchased such a place for his people. And he did it on the cross of Calvary. He bore their sin that we might never have to. And that they might be in that place where there is no sin and that for all eternity. Tell me, are these not the assurances that you would like to have tonight? Pardon from all your sin. Peace with a God whom you have offended. And also a home in heaven for all eternity. And those are the assurances that you can have when this appointment with death is met. You can have. If you will but seek the Lord in salvation. If you will repent of your sin tonight. if you will but come and bow the knee while God's Spirit is striving with you. This can be the night of your salvation. We implore you, as we have done with the young people, because we're conscious not every young person was saved on our weekend. And adult, you can come tonight too. And it is appointed unto men once to die. I've seen that. I've seen that in the highest corridors of power in our land. But after this, the judgment. That's why you need to prepare. I pray that you will even tonight if you're not seen.